Hi, and welcome to Recky Perfection. I'm your host, Rochelle Inay, singer-songwriter and recovering perfectionist. I started this podcast on a mission to figure out how we can raise brave kids, but quickly learned that one of the most important ways we can do this is by being brave ourselves. So on this show, you'll hear stories from courageous humans who figured out how to embrace failure and imperfection and live in alignment with their true selves. To me, if every person were to fully embrace their innately imperfect humanness, we would see a world that's less power-hungry and more kind, we would find more solutions to some of the world's biggest challenges, and we would live happier and more fulfilled lives, knowing that we are enough exactly as we are, not because of anything external like beauty or success. If you struggle with being hard on yourself when you mess up, which we all do by the way, comparing yourself with others, getting stuck in the creative process because of a tough inner critic, or you're simply tired of trying to stay on the hamster wheel that is this beauty and success culture, I'm here to help you stop, get off, breathe, and realize that you are enough right here, right now. From this place of enoughness, we can bring kindness and compassion to ourselves and to the young people in our lives, helping them to realize their own enoughness. I believe that when kids and grown-ups learn that mistakes are okay, they're able to embrace failure and live more courageously. On today's episode, I have the privilege of speaking with Travis Daigle. Travis is a writer who is fascinated with how we solve problems in everyday life. I came across his TEDx talk that he gave in 2018, where he shares his incredibly powerful story, and in it, he reveals how he was able to transform his pain into strength and resilience. He shares insights about the power of determination, how to overcome deeply held limiting beliefs, and how to find the courage to define success on your own terms. I learned so much from our talk, and I know you're going to love what he has to say. Just a quick heads up that we do talk about weight loss, and if that is a trigger for you, you might want to skip this episode. So without further ado, here's Travis. Travis, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. I I appreciate you reaching out to me. (laughs) Awesome. Um, So I'm curious about the making of Travis Daigle. Can you tell everyone a little bit about your story? So, um, Travis Daigle's story, to summarize it, um, I grew up a pretty overweight kid uh, here in the South. Um, You know, obviously, I'm currently in Little Rock, which is not, uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, which is not far away from Birmingham, Alabama. That's uh, where I grew up and uh, was always a heavy kid from, uh, from real little and dealt with a lot of teasing and bullying because of it. And, um worked on I you know I worked on weight loss for for a long time and eventually um after I left high school I was able to lose a bunch of weight before going off to college uh which was a real kind of cathartic moment for me and the reason that was so important um wasn't you know just about losing weight uh you know and being comfortable in your own skin and all those things is a super important thing when you're a teenager but um it was kind of uh the 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 oppressive forces that came with the way that I looked, you know, everybody, uh, my peers made it very apparent to me that, you know, I didn't look like they did or didn't look desirable or whatever you want to call it. Um, and you know, it, it, it produces a certain uh, restriction socially and it produces a certain amount of anxiety in you. And am I enough and am I worthy and all those things. So losing weight was a big deal. And um, eventually I went on to college, I majored in engineering, did that for a little while and really did not like it. Um, And that led to kind of another uh, catharsis or transformation, if you will, um, 
because uh, all of these things, um, all of the things that I've been told about success and, and what makes you successful in the world and all those things, they just didn't seem to, to work out well for me. Uh, I uh, ended up working a desk job after college and for somebody who had spent so much time working out and being physical, it was really hard going to an office every day. It was, it was painful. Uh, and I got really depressed, uh, mildly suicidal there for a little while. Uh, and I ended up walking away from that, went into a bunch of financial chaos, into to a bunch of uh, debt. I had to a car for repossession, got evicted from my apartment, all those things. I had a little financial meltdown myself. And, uh, but it was around that time I just kind of asked myself some questions about what I wanted to do. Uh, and landed on joining the, uh, the U.S. military, and I ended up uh, joining, uh, trying out for special operations, uh, and served uh, five and a half years in the Army as a, a U.S. Army Green Beret, um, and spent a year in Afghanistan uh, uh, from, I think, 2000, early 2011 to early 2012. And after getting out of the military, I had told myself that I wanted to, at some point, go back to trying to help people uh, lose weight the, the, the same way I did. I, I kind of never lost track of, of how it felt to try so hard for so many years and to reach this goal of weight loss. And then after seven years of trial and error to, to have it finally happen. So I figured that I would go um, into the gym when I got out of the military in 2012 and start helping people, you know, experience that same sort of catharsis that I went through. But when I started doing that, I, I noticed pretty quickly that there was just a difference in mentality in terms of how, you know, 10-year-old, 15-year-old, 17-year-old Travis approached that task versus how I saw people in a typical gym environment approaching that task. And that kind of led me to this starting to think about maybe I need to share some bigger, broader things from my own story to help people understand um, you know, what, what's really going on in my mind as I approach a difficult task is maybe that is a better way of helping people, uh, which has kind of led me down this road of speaking and writing for the last, um, for the last, I guess, five years it's been now. That's really amazing. I think your story is really powerful. And so you have this, um, tagline that's adapt and overcome. And um, it seems that you've had to do that a lot in your life. Yeah. And yeah. you <laughs> talked, you had a TEDx talk uh, back in 2018, and you talked about uh, how joining the Special Forces, becoming a Green Beret, was not easy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't want to mm-hmm. like underplay that, that difficulty right. that you went through. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about that? Um, so, uh, one of the big things that I kind of, the, the, the irony that I kind of outlined in the TED Talk is when, when going through a special, special operations training in any branch of the military, it doesn't matter uh, what it is. And, and I mean, going through a lot of military training, um, it's, it's, you know, physically and mentally and emotionally demanding. Um, and, you know, you've got, you know, kind of in particular, you've got instructors who are screaming and yelling at you and the idea is to create stress and chaos to see how you will respond to that stress and chaos. And I, I can still remember, I was thinking about it a couple of weeks ago, and 
And I can still remember arriving at basic training. Uh, this is in Fort Benning, uh, Georgia. Um, and side note, they're probably going to be changed. They may be changing the name of Fort Benning uh, here uh, soon. But uh, but this is in Fort Benning, Georgia at the time. This is 2007. I remember arriving there. And like the drill sergeants are just like screaming at you and yelling at you and, you know, run here, do this, do push-ups, whatever the case may be. And I just remember thinking to myself, you know, this really isn't that stressful to me. And I thought to myself, like, why? Why is this not, like, more, like, whoa, you know? Um, and I, and it, I just, it kind of hit me, like, I've been through these types of things before. I've been through this sort of mental and emotional stress before where, you know, like, people in your environment are verbally attacking you or, or you know, putting you down in some way, sometimes physically attacking you, whatever the case may be. And I just recognized it was a chaotic environment that I was already comfortable with in a lot of ways. And so it was intense and it was stressful, but I was able to kind of reach back and take some of the tools that I'd learned as a kid growing up and apply them to that situation. So in, in, in that regard, uh, ironically, you know, uh, um, the shy, timid kid and the experience of bullying was actually a really good preparation for, for going through uh, army training. Mm. Yeah, it's I've never heard anyone say when they've done army training that uh, they didn't think it was that, like they, they were already <laughs> up for the challenge, like that it wasn't, you know, shaking them to their core. Right. Well, and you know, I mean, uh, Rochelle, I, let me point out, like, I did not, like, I didn't know that going into it. I assumed that I was going to be way behind everybody else. Uh, I, you know, I ne like, again, I say this in the TED talk, but I'd never been like an athletic guy or like, I don't know, you know, been some like super physically imposing person. Um, and it was just kind of this surprise discovery, like, oh, wait a minute, this this is just about dealing with stress, and I'm, I'm, you know, an expert at dealing with stress. <laughs> 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 so I mean, it was it was a surprise, but it was like a pleasant surprise, and uh, it really kind of it, it began to open my mind up about um, how do I take how do I adapt and overcome how do I take stressful hard things in life and and project them forward into future goals or future challenges because I mean I really kind of settled in once I had that shift in my mind I just kind of settled in it was like okay um if the goal is to get me to quit and the goal is to stress me out well I mean I've done that a million times over so it reminds me of it reminds me of uh, something that Will Smith had said about no matter like if he gets on the treadmill uh, and someone else is already on it um, or someone else gets on after him, no matter when they get on, he's always going to be the last one off. Right. Yeah. Um, he yeah. just has worked incredibly hard and that idea of determination um, just beyond anything, because I've done a little bit. I'm not like a extremely physically active person i mm -hmm. enjoy more like artistically um physical yeah. things like skating and uh, dancing but i did run a marathon uh a couple mm -hmm. of years ago and that was the most mental determination i've ever had to have and that's really when i realized it's truly mind over body 
because your yeah. body your body says no like i'm giving yeah. out and and if you listen to your body you will uh you will yeah <laughs> so i think yeah i think around mile 15 of the marathon i was already crying <laughs> i was like i'm yeah. ready to be done but i yeah. i finished and i was very slow and my i didn't reach my goal time by a long shot but um that that idea of just sheer mental determination um yeah i think is kind of at the core of that ability to adapt and overcome mm -hmm. uh, beyond maybe what seems possible or what makes any sense for sure yep for sure i i uh i mean like i mean and the that marathon that moment you're describing is a perfect example i mean like your body one thing you realize pretty quickly in military training um and i mean i realized this and this was the thing that i kind of wasn't thinking about going into it is everybody's physical being has its breaking point like if you do enough sit-ups your abs are going to start to burn and eventually you're going to reach a failure point like you're just not going to be able to sit up at times um but there's kind of like this buffer zone. There's this zone where the pain starts and where you like literally can't go any further. And there's kind of this in the middle. And that in the middle is where you're doing another sit-up, but it hurts really bad, right? That in the middle is mile 15 where your body is like, please, can we stop? This is terrible. And there's like miles, I think it's what, 26? Point three miles in the marathon. 26.2, yeah. 26.2 miles. So, like, so you've got between mile 15 and 11.2 <laughs> miles later, which is a solid distance, right? Like, you're each with each step, you're deciding in your head, nope, I hurt. I'm going to keep going. Nope, I'm uncomfortable. I'm going to keep going. Nope, I'm dehydrated. I'm going to keep going. Like, you're strategizing. You're figuring out what song do I need to play in my head? What do I need to think about? Like, it's your head that's starting to do the work at that point. Um, and, you know, you can be as big and, and as athletic as you want to be, but everybody has a physical, uh, a point of a threshold physically. And, and your mind has to move you through that period. And, you know, it's interesting because I've been thinking about mental fitness versus physical fitness and i always mm -hmm. separated them in my mind mm -hmm. uh and mm -hmm. after i did the marathon i have to tell you i was very fed up with running i never wanted to run again i was like yep. this is yep. not my thing i'm done yep. uh and then recently i had a couple sisters who were like oh we want to train for a half and i was like oh maybe i'll try it and and i realized uh after having become a bit more inactive especially during covid uh yeah there, I mean, I think we've all experienced that inactivity and that, you know, just a drain on the energy too. Right, right. But I thought, you know, my mental fitness to me is more important than my physical fitness. So, mm -hmm. so for a while, I was really focusing more on uh, my music, on this podcast, on all these things that I could sit and think about and do. And I thought, you know, that's more important to me than my physical fitness. But as right. I started running again and realizing, man, when you start training, it's starting from scratch. Like running one mile, two miles is like, oh my gosh, yeah. I forgot this is hard. You lose it so fast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I realized that that mental fitness is what I needed to continue to cultivate alongside the physical fitness. They really go hand yeah. in hand. 
Yeah. And they're so tied. Yeah. Like hundred percent. Um, I, I think, um, sort of, and I think I'm going to write about this on my blog, uh, soon is one of the things that I realized as a trainer, um, is, when, when I was losing weight or working on losing weight, so I'm exercising every day and kind of side note is the thing that I ultimately had to change was, was what I was putting into my body. Like I was eating a lot, a lot of garbage. Um, and once I found the resolve or the, the mental space to change that things in my body began to change, but the value of the exercise, the exercising for me that I didn't know of at the time was, you know, it's that decision factor. It's that it's 5 a.m. in the morning and I have scheduled myself to do this workout at this time, but I'm really physically tired. Like, I just don't feel like it right now. And the ability to overcome that feeling in your mind, I mean, apply that to anything, right? Like, I, you know, I'm trying to, to, to write every day. Like, and I didn't like writing growing up. I hated writing. And so for me to sit down and write is such a, like, it's still a, an incredible exertion. But once I do it, I, I'm, I feel great. I'm like, yes, I did that hard thing. Because now exercise is so ingrained into my habits. It's just like, it's not, it's not hard anymore. It's so not you're like, all right, what's like, the next hard thing? Let's do that. Right, right. <laughs> like I need to do, I need to do other things that stretch me. But I mean, you could apply it to anything. You know, if you, you hate cooking, if you. Oh, that's me. I'm guilty. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like if you hate, um, if you hate uh, budgeting, if you hate studying for school, if you, um, or I mean, a great one is if you tend to, if there's a particular subject that you won't talk about with people because you always kind of lose your self-restraint. Like that's a mental exertion to like calm yourself down, think rationally and address the subject at hand. And to me, exercise is one of the easiest ways to practice that, that mental inertia on your own. Mm. You know, what comes to mind is I'm thinking about these ideas because maybe for some people it's, it is physical fitness, maybe for other people, it's, you know, other things that they're, they're feeling that it's their creative work or whatever it is mm-hmm. that they're, they're feeling held back and something is stopping them from, right. from really, you know, getting to where they want to go. Um, mm-hmm. And one thing that's, that's difficult for me with the physical fitness thing is, you know, I'm really a proponent of health at every size and, uh, you know, body acceptance and really that I think all sizes are, you know, beautiful and worthy of Mm -hmm. love. And, uh, the interesting thing is, I guess, you know, and also hearing like the statistic that the biggest determiner of weight gain is dieting. Mm -hmm. And, and I wonder, because we all have a natural size, right? That's kind of what we're meant to maintain. And it's not all the same. It's not all right thin and and muscly it's just we're we just have a huge variation of bodies um right and so i'm wondering i guess how how people can know what is what is their natural body and maybe they they feel this desire to lose weight but Mm -hmm. uh they're feeling you know 
they want to just learn self-acceptance, which I think is, you know, so important before you begin that journey. Um, I think, um, I would say, now what's interesting is I definitely didn't have self-acceptance before I began the journey. Um, and when, when I make this recommendation, understand it's, it's not like singular. It's not like if you do this, then you will uh, exercise or whatever the case may be. I think what we have to be, one thing we kind of have to, what I try to, you know, as soldiers in the military, we're, I, at least from my experience, we are taught to kind of assess the battlefield or, or kind of research the enemy before we have to engage in the fight with the enemy. So like if I can get some intelligence on, on my enemy or get some intelligence on the, on the place that I'm going to before I go there, then I'm going to do that. Right. Um, so the way that metaphor relates to exercise or, or uh, to our current environment is something that I noticed as a trainer was, I mean, with social media, with kind of media images in general, like fitness has kind of been hijacked by the pursuit of aesthetics the pursuit of looks. Um, totally. And so it, it becomes associated with that purely. Like if you're working out, it must be purely for the pursuit of athletics or I mean, or, or of aesthetics. Mm-hmm. And then secondarily, it's also about performance a lot of the time, you know, you know, with, with particularly, you know, in my experience as a soldier, like comparison, you know, who's stronger than who. Uh, who runs faster than who, so on and so forth. Um, and I think in part, you have to ask yourself kind of some, some simple questions about like quality of life stuff. If, if, you know, let's say like for me, for instance, my knees used to hurt all the time, like constantly. And as a young kid, I decided that I was not going to accept that. I was not going to accept like knee pain for the rest of my life because that's just what tall people get or that's just what heavy people get. So one trick that I've learned as an older man, because as a younger man, I was looking for the aesthetics. I was looking for the approval of other people. So however like misguided the process was, I was in it right? Like however misguided my motivations were, I was going down that road. I'm trying to lose weight because I want the abs because I want girls to like me or, you know, whatever it was, or I want to perform more. But as I've gotten older, I've decided to give my own meaning to the process. And I mean, I think about it very simply, like I want, you know, as I get older, I still want to be able to live independently. I want to be able to give myself a shower, you know? Um, I want to be able to squat down and, you know, if I have kids, be able to run around with them and and crawl around on the floor with them without having a problem. You know, I want to be able, I want my back to be healthy. I want to be able to carry groceries upstairs, like just simple quality of life stuff. Right now, uh, fitness has even more, has more of a, uh, it's more relative to me, physical fitness, because, you know, I, I enjoy martial arts. And so, 
I want to have the conditioning to spar round after round after round. And, you know, I'm in my late 30s, and so I have to take care of my body because I'm going to go into the gym and sometimes I'm going to get beat up, you know, and yeah. to be able to recover faster, I have to take care of my body. And so I think in part asking yourself, like, why is it that I, that I want to lose weight? Why is it that I want to change my diet? And then assess that motive. Like, is it shallow? Because if it's shallow, then, yeah, if you can't go to the gym when COVID-19 comes, then you're probably not going to do anything at home either. But if it's something that's deep and meaningful to you, you're more likely to fight through hard transitions in life. You're more likely to fight to keep going if it's something like really deep and entrenched. So, so for that person who assesses and decides, um, and specifically talking about, um, yeah, losing weight, and maybe they decide like this is this is time, this is time for me to start. Or maybe maybe it's not. I I really think it can be applicable to any anything that you want to learn or start um, or begin. Yeah, I'm I'm ready to begin. Yeah. But how if they're feeling like everyone's gonna judge me for starting this, every, like I can't put myself out there like this? Um, mm -hmm. How how can they just get started and kind of get past that point of fear? Well, there, you know, like, again, there is assessing your motivation. Like, why are you doing something? I, I think for me, as a kid growing up, another big motivator, kind of the biggest motivator was, you know, uh, for me at that time, I'm, if I'm being bullied and people are saying things about me, I just want that to stop, right? I just want, like, I don't need you to, you know, do I like affirmation from other people? Who doesn't, right? Like, right. who doesn't find themselves running after that from time to time? But even more than that, for me, it was like this pain of like constantly having my person being attacked by people's words. Like, it was hard and harsh. And I feel like I couldn't, you know, I can't have a normal friendship with people. I can't, <clears throat> you know, I can't engage in the things that I see other teenagers normally engaged in because I constantly have this worry of what are people going to think of me because of my weight. And so if you look, if, if you look at what's under that is, I want to be to be free to express myself like, like I think everybody else has a free to do. And right now, this weight seems to be attached to or, or holding me back from experiencing that. Um, so there's there's this deep drive that I have to be free to express myself. So chasing your own freedom versus chasing a six pack. I mean, man, those are two, like one, you're going to fight a lot harder for than the other. Right. Um, so that's one thing. But then the other thing um, is I would just say you gotta, especially if you're an adult starting this process, like let's say you got a couple of little kids at home, especially right now, like let's say you got a couple I don't know, uh, 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 you know, 10 year olds at home. They aren't in school. You still got to work. You got all this stuff going on. One of the other things I saw people mess up all the time is kind of making these tactical mistakes. Like I haven't worked, I haven't done anything physically in, I don't know, 10 years. And I got three kids at home and I'm married, but I'm going to start running 
five miles a day. Hmm. Well, like that's probably not going to work too well. Um, you're probably not going to be able to sustain that. But let's say you just set a small goal of going for a 15-minute walk three times a week. And maybe you see yourself do that for a month. Then you add a little bit onto that and a little bit and a little bit. And so what I'm talking about there is just set a small, easily attainable goal and get some momentum. And then that helps you overcome. Because I think whenever we're trying to change our behavior, there's sort of a a mental inertia that we have to overcome. And so I've been doing life one way for a really long time. And now I'm going to shift to doing this other thing. So like, is it, you know, I see you got guitars hanging behind you back there. Like, you know, let's say you want to, somebody wants to learn the guitar. Well, you got to spend some time with that on a regular basis. And so set a small goal. You know, is it five minutes a day? Is it 10 minutes, three times a week? Is it one hour each week? You know, set a really small attainable goal with that thing. And then see yourself hit that target over and over and over again. And then add to it over time. Um, So having a solid motivation and then having attainable, manageable goals, Mm -hmm. I think, is what helps us move out into the water. I think that's great because, yeah, I think that we often subconsciously set ourselves up for failure when we create these goals that are actually unattainable that we know we're not going to do. And then as soon as we fail, we're like, all right, I give up. I'm done. Like I tried, but we're not really giving it that go and making it achievable and long-term. That that's the real, you know, that's the stuff that's going to stick. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I uh, like to piggyback on what you said there is like, you know, you set a big goal and you fail. And I think we're, and I don't, I'm not, I think it comes from a lot of different places. So, I mean, I mean, I'm just going to name a few, but like, I again, like we kind of, with social media and the internet, as many good things ex- 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 that exist there, this podcast, you know, like, um, you know, the TEDx videos, different people sharing different useful ideas. I love TED Talks. <laughs> right? You know, like, um, and I love podcasts. I, I mean, I listen to them all the time. And so there's so much good stuff out there. You know, um, uh, you know, my writing is an attempt to add to the good stuff in, in the atmosphere, right? But you also, like, see people who may be further along in their journey than you are, right? And... I think because everything moves so fast, I, we, we're we're also very much um, we want instant results. Uh, so sometimes our goals are big because if we think we, I mean, and I used to do this as a kid. If I, I think if I work harder right now, then I'll get there faster. And I had to learn the hard way that that's not actually true. Like, um, you know, if you have patience in the short term, things actually go faster in the long term. If I set small goals, then over a year, who knows how far I can get because I maintain my pace. But if I set too big of a goal and, you know, I get burned out quick and I keep going through that cycle, eventually it feels like I'll never be able to do it because I keep like falling over and over and over again. So why try again? Why get up again if I keep looking at somebody else who's playing the guitar like they've been playing it? you know, since they were a little kid and now they're doing concerts and whatnot. And we started at the same time, but they started with five minutes a day. And I decided that I was going to try to play five hours a day. 
you know, for, you know, for, for 30 days or whatever, you know, and now I'm burned out. But they never got burned out. They picked a sustainable pace. You know? Yeah, I think that is, is powerful in goal setting and just finding, especially finding the success and enjoying the success. I know perfectionists, mm-hmm. myself included, have a really hard time enjoying success once we have it it's like okay on to the next thing and we don't actually celebrate when we're making progress and i'm really bad at that really bad at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah and i really yeah. i think that's a perfectionist thing um and i learned that from someone who i had on the show who is a therapist who works with perfectionists um and rated yeah. us uh and yeah and so i think also learning to celebrate ourselves even though in comparison to others we might think well I haven't achieved that much, but if you can stop comparing yourself and define success for yourself and decide on your own terms, what will make you feel successful when you reach that celebrate that. Yeah. Yeah. I I think what you said is very important, like defining what success is. Um, And, and I mean, it may not feel like a lot, but one thing that does feel good to me is, is like for instance i have very like lots of people think i I work out for hours and hours a day and i actually have just a very simple routine that i do and have been doing for probably five or six years now and you know maybe it takes me 20 minutes or something like that uh you know five or six times a week um but doing that very simple thing each day I mean, there are going to be days, there's probably more days more often than not where I don't automatically feel like doing it. I'm tired, I'm fatigued, and I actually started learning how to celebrate when I overcome that hump. When I, when, when I get past that initial, like, oh, here we go again, doing this thing again, you know. Um, and the results, especially in your body, they take lots of time. I mean, like, Seeing physical change, you know, if you want to gain muscle mass or gain strength, strength takes a lot of time to develop. I mean, it is a process of patience. Um, and you really have to celebrate, I showed up today. Like, I, I didn't feel that good today, but I showed up and I did the work. Like, and some days you show up, you know, a year from now, two years from now, and suddenly you're, you, you feel great. You, you feel a lot stronger than you felt before. It, it feels so different, but you had to show up day after day for that 52 weeks, for that 104 weeks to get to that experience. And so learning to, like you said, learning to celebrate those little victories, you said. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that can keep us from achieving things that we want to achieve um, and I'm specifically talking about achieving things that are valuable to us personally, not just, right. you know, relying on what the world defines uh, mm-hmm. as amazing, but what we decide is amazing. And yeah. um, I think, you know, one of the issues can be limiting beliefs. And I think a Absolutely. lot of us struggle with these. For me, the big one I've carried with me since I was little is this sense of like worthlessness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, sometimes I feel like everything I do is in an effort to just prove to myself and others that I'm worthy of love. Uh, But that underlying limiting belief remains intact because 
what came to mind last night while I was thinking about this was um, comparing it to a parent who thinks their kid is just like a worthless piece of trash. And that little kid tries <laughs> to prove to their parent, like, no, look, I'm great. And no, nothing that they do is going to change their parent's mind because, right, it's not the little kid who needs to change or do more, achieve more. It's the parent who needs to change that belief. Um, and I don't even know if that's a good way to think of it. It just came into my mind. I know and what you're saying, yeah. I know this is like a, a difficult and a big question, but I'm wondering how you were able to wrestle with your own limiting beliefs and how you were able to change them. Hmm. Um, so, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? You, I, it, I, in the middle of, of me growing up, I, I, what's nice about now is like, if somebody asked me about, well, how did you, how did you find confidence to do what you did or something like that? Well, now I can reverse engineer it a little bit. Right. And I, and I've got like the experiences of 38 years on the planet versus being 15 years old and just trying to figure out what, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so hindsight is 2020. Um, but you know, with, the aggregate understanding of all my experiences that I've had and just having, you know, and when I look at other people who seem to be very resilient and uh, who seem to be fulfilled in life, um, I think one thing that I notice in myself is that there's something that I talk about all the time on my, on my blog. And I, I talk about the idea that we all, um, we all organize life with stories. Um, so human beings, like the way we convey information, the way we uh, the way we communicate with each other, we try to organize it in some co cohesive narrative, right? Like if you ask me a question, the question has to be coherent, and then if I understand it, I'm going to reply in a coherent fashion, right? Um, and so, rather than just give you facts about Travis, like I lost 100 pounds, or I live in Little Rock. Like that wouldn't be very intriguing. You know, I got to put it together in some narrative like, oh, you know, I lost all this weight. Uh, I used to live in the South and then I ventured off into the Northwest for a while and did some cool things up there. And now oddly enough, I'm circling back around to Little Rock back in the South again, but I'm a totally different man. Like the way I weave that together creates a more interesting story. Um, but the challenge is, the challenge is, especially like when we talk about belief systems, is we, we have to kind of notice that our stories have holes in them. There's no way to know the totality of how everything in the world works. Um, so something that, you know, I'm an African-American male and I grew up in the South. My parents, both African-American, uh, my mother grew up in Houston, Texas and my father grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. And I mean, and this is relevant to the time that we're in, so there's so much social uh, right. unrest. And one of the things, because uh, we, we get our beliefs from our environment a lot of times, especially as kids growing up, we're looking at the world and trying to organize the world. There's so much going on. Yeah. And we're trying to create a narrative arc 
so that we know where our footing is. We know where we are. Like, oh, dad and mom get up and go to work at the same time every day. And, oh, I hit a certain age, and then I started going to school every day. And that pattern of, of, of uh, starts to weave its way into our head. And then we kind of make logical assumptions off of that. So something that my parents used to do when I was younger, and this relates to me leaving engineering, was my mom just kind of indoctrinated me with this idea that we were poor. We are poor. We are poor. And if you don't want to be poor, you need to go to college, get a degree, because then you'll have money and you won't be poor anymore. Now, R- Rochelle, the problem with that is what she's trying to do, she's trying to give me what she understands, right? right. Uh, they didn't finish college and, you know, they didn't make as ma- maybe as much money as they would have liked to have made or have as many nice things as maybe they would have liked to have had. And so she's feeling what she's feeling in her own story. And she says to her child, in order for, for him to not feel this pain, let me give him what I didn't get. So he needs to go to college because that's what success is. And me being a kid, you know, I adopt that. But I also heard it at school. You hear it in our, I mean, socially, like you got to get a degree. You got to get a degree. Um, and so I did that. And I'm not against going to college at all. I, I'm not against it. But it turns out that that's not like a fact. <laughs> one, one, you got to tell me, you know, my mom said we were poor. But as I grew up and I started to like meet people who like actually were like really poor growing up, I started to say like, wait a minute, like poor is a relative thing. It kind of is relative to your material desires in a lot of ways. Now, there's real poverty in the world. Like there's people who don't have indoor plumbing, who don't have electricity or access to the internet. Like there's real actual unsustainable poverty in the world but we didn't experience anywhere near that we may not have been rich um we may have been lower middle class some people may have looked at us as poor but in my experience in the world like after being in afghanistan like my idea of poor is very different you know um and then two which goes back to what you said earlier I realized that my definitions of success had come from society, they had come from school, they had come from my parents. Um, And so I was terrified to walk away from engineering because so many people were like, you you know, you're squandering everything that you've been given. You like, this is the worst mistake you're ever gonna make in your life. Um, And it was incumbent upon myself to say like, what I try to get people to do here is say, like, when you face this sort of um, existential problem like this, where does my value come from? What do I believe in? What limiting beliefs that do I have? you got to keep asking the question, is this true? Travis, the only way to be successful in life is to go to college and get, in, get a good degree and get a good job. That's the only way to be successful. And then I kind of hit a place where I was like, well, wait a minute. Is that true? There are clearly examples of other people who who found a way to at least make money doing something other than going to college. So it's it's not this this idea that that's the only way to do things. Well, that's just simply not true. Mm -hmm. The other thing was, um, again, going back to simple goals. If 
when I was a kid, like when 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 everybody is saying that I'm this or that I'm that or that I'll never be this or never be that or you know you're ugly, you're fat, you're stupid, you're slow, whatever the case may be. I mean, Rochelle, like every day I'm getting up and working out, and I know that I'm getting up early. And I'm doing it when other people are still sleeping or are still doing something else, and I know that it's hard and I know that it's a difficult task. So even while I'm hearing these things and it's difficult to overcome them, I know I'm hitting these little small targets every day. And I know I'm, I'm making an investment in myself every single day. So to some extent, you know, again, learning to celebrate little things, learning to set small goals, but then also just recognizing that no one person, no group of people, no country of people can really organize accurately the realities of life so there's always a, that space to challenge that belief system and say well wait a minute is that true like right. oh you're worthless well wait a minute is that actually true like and what is that based upon you know like where, where are you getting that from and if it's not based on some objective reality then you know you you have to ask yourself where, where does that come from and why do i believe it mm. And, and people are always, I believe, doing the best that they can. You know, our parents, mm -hmm. our yep. peers, they're telling us what they know to be true, what their right. parents and their peers have told them. And that's 100%. how we continue so many ideas, so many beliefs. Mm -hmm. That's how racism has continued in this in this country. And uh, yeah, and I think it ultimately comes down to so much of, you know, what you talked about in your, in your Ted talk and, um, this idea of it's a personal, it's a personal thing that you have to wrestle with, right? It's not, yeah. you're, you're gonna go through pain and you say, um, at the end of your talk, you said in life, pain is inevitable, but who we become because of pain is a choice and right. i love that it it reminds me of this quote by victor frankel who was a holocaust survivor and in his book a man's search for meaning he writes we who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others giving away their last piece of bread they may have been few in number but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing the last set of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way um that blew my mind honestly yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. i think and i think it does tie into what's happening today is you and you use this word freedom and it's like so many people in this country do not have freedom and the fact is we can't always create freedom for ourselves um, mm -hmm. there's some things that are beyond our control yeah. um, and so coming back to what we can control you know how we choose to act every day whether we choose to act out of love and kindness and our humanity or whether we choose to believe what's coming from outside of us you know whether mm -hmm. we choose to give in to like anger and resentment and um, I guess yeah how do you think that this is also a big question <laughs> but how do you think we can move from a sense of like 
hopelessness into a place of of hope like how does that sort of inner transformation take place do you believe um it's it's interesting that that you talk about victor frankel because after that night after after i gave um or got the opportunity to give my my tedx talk that night a woman came up to me um and she said you have got to read this book by victor frankel a man search for me i think you would really 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 like it and it's on my book list to read um uh but she but i mean that that quote uh where, where he says um he says the, the like the last freedom or the one final freedom uh that a person can choose to express is like their attitude in the midst of a situation um and i mean i I often think there, so what's a good example of this? There, there are internal challenges that, well, yeah, like you, you said it a moment ago, like they're just internal challenges that each one of us is going to have to wrestle with. Um, and I think there was a, in, in a part of this question that, that you sent me in an email, you pointed out something I think is true. Like uh, we, we kind of live with, with this story, this story of the, we're in a meritocracy and as long as you just, you, you know, the, the harder you work, you can make anything that you want happen, happen. Um, and that's just not really true. No. I think, I think, uh, you know, I think what it is true, what is true is that, uh, uh, you know, in the TEDx talk, I use the word pain, but let's just use the word failure. Like, Failure will be a part of life. And when I use the word failure, it's analogous to me using that word pain. Like, you have to know that disappointment is a part of life. You have to know that joy is a part of life. You have to know that depression is a part of life. You have to know that happiness is a part of life. Like, you, you have to know that both, you know, there is no winning unless someone, like, without failure, you wouldn't know the experience of winning right? Like you wouldn't, there's this sort of dichotomy to life. And I think it's, of course, we want to focus on the good side, but like there's also kind of a downside. There's a yin and a yang. Um, and the more I think you can kind of embrace the spectrum of human experience and understand that kind of life isn't complete without knowing the downside. It's the downside is what makes the upside so so good and so like um, enriching um, without knowing both, you know, like what will we be if there was just no resistance in life? Like if there was just nothing, you know, like, I don't know, like what will we, like if there was no problems to solve. I mean, it feels kind of good to think about, but isn't that what perfection, like, like that's the problem. Like that's not a reality. That's not a real thing. And so being able to just, embrace both sides i think is akin to the fullness of human experience um you know knowing that okay i'm gonna yeah like go after your dreams like i want to be an astronaut and a professional basketball player go after it you have every right to go after it and you also have the right to experience the disappointment and heartbreaks that are going to come along that road and along that journey you also have the right to like aim for this big dream and see it all come crumbling down before you. 
and you know you have and then and then you have a choice to make either life is still worth living and going forward or it's only worth living if we get everything we want and we know that that's not true like we, we know that that's not true like part of again part of joy is knowing what disappointment is like um and you know and part of empathy is being able to to feel pain yourself process it and then know be able to see what somebody else is going through as well and so yeah i I think being able to embrace kind of the duality of life uh, is important in terms of being able to to renew hope, mm. um, knowing that there is a tomorrow and that there is another day to live for. Because I think I think that one thing that stops us, especially as perfectionists, of mm-hmm. trying to do something, trying to overcome something, trying to start something, is that fear of what if what if you know this goes wrong. It doesn't, it doesn't turn out how I want it to. What if people judge me? What if, you know, it's a total disaster, but the fact is you have to accept already before you do anything that matters to you, there's going to be failure and that just accept it. Just, it was like, I was interviewing, um, I was interviewing Daniel Handler, uh, or Lemony Snicket, uh, author of a series of unfortunate events. And he was talking about it like, yeah. oh, you think that, um, you know, you're worried about your first date being awkward. Well, just accept the fact that it's going to be, you know, right. and yeah. it's like Embrace these, these yeah. questions that we're asking are actually a bit silly in terms of, you know, am I going to experience pain? And and anyone who's doing anything is yeah. <laughs> if we try to keep ourselves comfortable you know, it's not really comfort, like you're saying. If if our worlds are too perfect, that's not even enjoyable. There's no challenge yeah. there. There's nothing to There's overcome. There's no adventure. Yeah, like like our stories, like the, the the like movies and and like tall tales and you know, I don't know, like uh, Harry Potter or uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Like these things involve. A, there's a, an adversity that the, 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 the protagonist has to go through. And that's what makes, that's what pulls us into the story. You know? Yeah. Oh man, there's so much more here that I want to, I have so many more questions and things in my head that have arisen. Um, but I have a call at 11. So I just have one more question for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any piece of advice that you would like to offer? Um, yeah, I was thinking about this too. Just keep going. Like, just keep going. I mean, all, like I said before, disappointment, heartbreak, joy, fulfillment, they are all part of the same continuum of life. So just keep going. Like, get up and keep going. I think the worst pain that we can experience in this life is regret. It's knowing that we stood still and didn't do things because we let we let fear, we let the fear of awkwardness, the fear of pain, the fear of frustration, the fear of failure stop us. And w- going to our graves wondering what if. I think that's probably the most painful thing in life and a pain to be lessened if you can. So keep going. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's especially potent right now and exactly where yeah, we are right. in, yeah. in history. Yeah. Um, because this is a history-making moment. Um, 
Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And I'd love to direct people to where, where can people find you? Um, TravisDagle.com. Uh, that's my website. I encourage people to follow my weekly blog. Uh, I'm only going to email you once a week. Can't find me on social media. It's just not my thing. But if you go to TravisDagle.com, uh, yeah, you can read my blog post. Awesome. Well, I will leave a link to that in the show notes. Um, yeah. Well, thank you, thank so, you much. so much. You're a wonderful soul and so wise. So. Same to you, Rochelle. Thank you. Well, have an awesome rest of your day. All right. You too. Well, that was such an enlightening conversation. I hope that you all enjoyed it and that you'll go find Travis and his blog on his website, travisdagle.com. That's T-R-A-V-I-S-D-A-I-G-L-E.com. And there's a link in the show notes as well. There's some really exciting episodes coming up. So if you like this show, please subscribe. And while you're at it, leave a review. That would be awesome. If you want to support the podcast, it would go a long way if you could find one person to share this podcast with who you think would benefit from it. Another way to support it would be to donate to Anchor.fm. The link is in the show notes. And 10% of all donations go to World Food Program in an effort to support people who are experiencing hunger. I also want to say that Black Lives Matter, and I hope you're supporting the movement however you can, whether it's protesting to defund police or donating to free protesters. There's a need right now to deconstruct whiteness and work towards anti-racism. An excellent book I just finished on the history of racist ideas in America is by Ibram X. Kendi. It's called Stamped from the Beginning. If you are white, the book Me and White Supremacy by Leila F. Saad is also really helpful and has made me take a hard look at my own racism. I took some time away from this podcast to try and figure out what my role is and how I can contribute to an anti-racist society, and I came to the conclusion that recu perfection is still important because perfectionism can get in the way of our ability to have conversations about race and racism, and right now we need to bravely embrace these difficult conversations because this is a fight for everyone. This is a fight for humanity, and we need to walk into it with our human imperfect selves Knowing that everyone in this country, in this world, is a human, is imperfect, and is not defined by the color of their skin. We cannot reduce anyone to a limited list of stereotypes based on their complexion, because we know every human contains universes within themselves. And this limitlessness is something I believe we can tap into together, when we continue to ask questions, and be vulnerable, and allow ourselves to be wrong, and to learn something, and to keep learning. You can also consider carefully where you're spending your dollars because your money makes a difference. So I'm going to leave a link to officialblackwallstreet.com and I hope that you will all support your local black-owned businesses. I'll also link to the books I mentioned. And of course, if you have any feedback for me, anything you'd like to hear from me, you can reach me through my website, wreckyourperfection.com. All right, that's it for me. Thank you so much for joining me today and I hope to see you back here for next week's episode. Until then, be well fail big, and go wreck your perfection.